Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today, we're pleased to have with us Tom Pierpoint, who's Vice President of Engineering at Austin Energy down in Texas, the eighth largest municipal utility in the United States with close to half a million customers. Hi, Tom. Hi, Marty. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. I'd like to talk to you um, about the issue of integrating emerging technology at Austin Energy. What does that mean for you, and how how do you think you you might have uh, freedom to tackle that as a muni as opposed to an investor-owned utility? Yeah, Marty, I think um, we have a fair amount of latitude in tackling it as, as part of a municipal. We have a strong backing of our, our city council and the uh, Electricity Utility Commission in advancing technologies, especially to get towards a carbon-free environment to the degree possible in the power sector. Um, so it's given us a great deal of latitude to implement new technologies, uh, especially that can reduce our carbon footprint as, as those technologies become available. Specifically, um, you have been able to incorporate 43% of your energy uh, as green energy as of the end of last summer on your way to hopefully achieve 65% by 2027. Do I read those metrics correctly? Marty, we actually we're, uh, so that number's right, but we're 63% when we include our, our part ownership in uh, the South Texas project, which is nuclear and carbon free. And yes, we were at 63% now, which includes uh, the 40% renewable um, you know, PV and wind. Our goals have been revised, and I'll talk about that in a sec. We're, for 2025, we're looking at 86% total. And then 2030, we're looking at, at 93% total. Yeah, and if I could, uh, kind of as a backdrop, because this is, this is pretty recent news within the last couple months, we have the Electric Utilities Commission, which is, is kind of an oversight and guidance uh, group as part of the city council. This group commissioned a working group last fall and looked to do an update of our resource plant. So we had a working group formed. Um, it was comprised of community representatives plus uh, Austin Energy staff. And the group moved pretty quick. It worked six months to create the uh, what's called the AE Resource Generation and Climate Protection Plan to 2030. And for listeners uh, on the podcast, a search of um, Austin Energy EUC Working Group will bring up the page with all the materials. It's really a nicely organized page. Um, has all the materials from the uh, working group uh, process and, and the outcome. The recommendations were approved by city council uh, just a couple months ago here in March. And basically just a couple high points if I could. There's uh, uh, no new carbon uh, generating assets as part of the plan. As I mentioned, our carbon reduction goals go from you know 63% uh, which is where we're at right now, to uh, 93% by 2030. Continuing to pursue additional renewable generation. You know, one component of this that I think the staff at Austin Energy is particularly proud of is a program called REACH, which is Reduce Emissions Affordably for Climate Health. And it's basically a market-based approach to reduce carbon uh, using our legacy generation plants um, and do that in the most economical manner. So kind of the, the plan is 
when the uh, cost of electricity are low, uh, which a lot of times means, means renewables running in, in great quantity. Um, we kind of back down on our internal plants. Um, in periods where uh, generation requirements are much higher and the margins go up, we, we bring the plants online. During times of peak demand, that's when all the, if I could, the, you know, the more carbon intensive stuff is running. And so our plants, you know, relatively clean. You have two natural gas uh, generating units in the Austin area, and you own half of a coal-fired plant. Is that correct? Correct, Marty. Yes. Is there any plan to get out from ownership of that, or are you going to continue to own all those facilities? Yes, and we have it on the online site. We're, we're already retiring our um, ownership in Fayette. Uh, that process is underway. And then uh, the, the two uh, uh, closer-in uh, natural gas plants um, we're incrementally going to be um, retiring units with those plants as well over the, the next uh, 10 years. Operating off of uh, probably some data information, your wind portfolio is at 1,200 megawatts and solar 645. Can you update those figures and tell us what your goals are on those specific categories? The goals are to continue to, um, to grow those numbers. I don't have the, uh, the exact numbers at this point. Okay. And and what about, what's your attitude being a muni and non-for-profit? What's your attitude towards customer-owned generation? And would you like to see that grow? Yes, I think that's going to be part of the plan is to uh, to accommodate uh, customer-owned generation, whether it's, uh, you know, PV, especially at the local level, and, and then also help, um, you know, with interconnects and whatever we can do for the grid-level PV. Talk to us a little bit about your plans for EVs. Being a fairly progressive community with a university base there, um, I'm sure EVs are popular. How do you see that growing, and uh, what are you doing to encourage that? Yeah, thanks, Marty. We have quite a footprint in the city of Austin and surrounding area. Um, we're working with you know national organizations to continue to grow that footprint. There's there's quite a few charging stations in, in the Austin area, um, and we're continuing to build those out. I was kind of fascinated on your website of a program where folks can pay something like $4 a month and have access to 800 charging stations in the Austin area. Talk a bit how that works. Yeah, so there's a number of uh, national programs. We're you know, affiliated with one that's exactly to your point. For a low monthly cost, there's access to multiple charging stations through a network and through apps so that it makes it easy for customers and owners of EVs to uh, pull up to a charging station and, and use the charging station uh, in a lot of cases, regardless of who owns it. Okay, let's turn to the housing stock for a second. Uh, you launched a green build program back in 92, so close to three decades now. That's one of the models in the country, uh, one of the most aggressive ones. What's that enabling you to achieve? I think we are continuing to uh, roll out our, you know, the green building, um, you know, increase our support of those programs and, and having a more energy efficiency stock. And especially in the case of um, Austin and the Austin area, which is growing rapidly, you know, there's the ability to roll out new standards and have those incorporated into the uh, new housing stock. Mm-hmm. Turning to the grid itself, how distributed is it today and uh, where are you headed? Is, is it at the end point or are you going to progressing towards a point where you hope to have greater capability. Talk about that continuum. Sure. I think um, right now I characterize um, a lot of our operations as, uh, you know, having a control center, obviously EMS SCADA for transmission, 
an advanced distribution management system for the um, distribution grid. Both are leading vendors, uh, relatively new vendors to the industry, uh, very progressive. Um, so we're, we're continuing to roll out those, the features, um, especially the ADMS, to better manage the grid. You know, we're also weaving in, you know, programs like the, the solar, other kinds of generations that customers might have, and, and create programs where it's advantageous for, for customers to deploy those uh, technologies. Talk for a bit about energy storage and battery deployments. Do you encourage that, and, and uh, how is that affecting the operation of the grid? The battery deployment, we are working with some uh, organizations that are doing, you know, battery deployments are off of that for at the residential level. Marty, we're also uh, working at the uh, more of the grid level. We had a partnership with the Department of Energy with the SunShot program and Austin Shines is, is what we called it. Austin Energy did win uh, the largest grant from DOE, which is $4 million, and we did a uh, matching funds um, as part of this program. We have sets of uh, 1.5 megawatt batteries at two substation sites, uh, Muller and Kingsbury. Um, the Kingsbury one works in conjunction with photovoltaic. So we're looking, looking kind of both ends. Um, and, you know, we're, we're involved with the, uh, the rollout of the DOE um, Energy Storage Grand Challenge. Uh, we did the, one of the keynotes for this area, for that workshop in this area. So we are looking forward to you know, more industry advancements, um, especially at the grid level um, batteries. So what will that allow you to achieve both at at the granular level, the smaller units, as well as the larger storage units? Well, at the granular level, with our end-use customers, we have, you know, the ability to uh, take load off feeders, take, uh, you know, energy flowing through the system and, you know, achieve carbon reduction goals that way, especially in conjunction with photovoltaic. I think at the grid level, kind of the same thing. We've got batteries that are tied to large-scale grids. We have the ability to um, significantly reduce uh, load off the system at the grid level. Talk a little bit about microgrids. Do you see that as a solution in your service territory? Are are they popular? Are you helping to get a few off the ground? Uh, We've got some work in microgrids and hoping, you know, to expand that further as the uh, technology become viable and further advance, um, especially on the battery side. You uh, serve on the IEEE PES Technical Support Committee. In your prior life at at Pepco Holdings, you led the Emergency Incident Command Team. To what extent do you find these kinds of technical evolutions we've been discussing over the last few minutes, positioning you to, at Austin Energy, deal with challenges to service um, whether it's storm-related or, or bad actors, uh, what have you? Sure. Uh, you know, Marty, I think I talked, you know, first in, on the um, PES, the uh, Power Engineering Society, and the um, ITSLC group. You know, it's a great, uh, you know, that's one of the things that's fortunate in this industry that we can collaborate uh, broadly um, and, uh, and generally openly amongst uh, all of us uh, in the industry. You know, the PES has a tremendous number of resources and standards, you know, certifications, education, um, training, and so on. One of the things that was done with the PES group and this uh, special committee, the ITSLC, was to work directly with organizations um, to address, you know, issues of mutual interest. And some of the organizations that uh, we set up MOUs with, Memorandums of Understandings, is, you know, FERCNR, the DOE, North American Transmission Forum, and then a number of utilities are participating, ComEd, uh, Vermont Electric, National Grid, 
and the, the Northeast uh, ISO. So it's been great to kind of leverage the technical expertise of, of many of the members across all different industry segments uh, to come together and uh, work on common industry problems. Well, case in point is the pandemic we're living through, and uh, you just came out, that committee, I believe, came out with a paper. Um, how have utilities been able to respond to the challenges of the pandemic, specifically as a result of some of these technologies that have been deployed in recent years? Sure. It was interesting with the group that worked on the COVID uh, knowledge sharing paper. It was a global group. Um, we had North America uh, teams. We had uh, folks from Asia and China, including China, you know, Europe, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Latin America. And really kind of my takeaway from the group, it was really interesting worldwide from a COVID standpoint and a utility standpoint, we're all kind of grappling with the same issues. And in a lot of cases, kind of solving them with the same techniques. Some things that stood out for me with the group, not only with IEEE, but my interactions in the industry. Um, you know, it's kind of going back, one of the things we looked at was the smart grid. And one of the conclusions was, you know, that COVID might slow the pace of individual projects in different countries and with different utilities. But it's interesting, no one expects it to have COVID to have a long-term impact on, on smart grid and carbon reductions, you know, overall, um, with the overall pace of these programs. Um, we're also actually, some countries are looking forward to the possibility of um, stimulus funds. You know, some, some governments may come out and encourage things to start moving a little bit faster. So that was something that was encouraging is that the, you know, the pace of carbon reductions in smart grid doesn't seem like it's going to um, slow. Another area that I will mention, too, is, you know, we looked at some target specific areas. You know, one was control rooms. You know, most utilities, all utilities actually have, you know, essential staff, which are frontline workers in control rooms, basically non-essential staff or staff that can telework. Um, and then kind of some, some folks in between that need to come in periodically or go on site periodically to serve customers. But one of the interesting areas that we did work on was control rooms and continuity of operations. It's really fascinating to me um, to, to see some of the innovations that have been done in the control rooms. You know, for instance, a number of uh, organizations, uh, you know, including some of our peer groups here in Texas, including ourselves, uh, you know, immediately went to backup control centers to try and break up the staff you know, in the, in the traditional control room, but getting them into a backup uh, control room as well. Um, but it's interesting how many organizations, how many utilities built like three, a third and fourth control room kind of on the fly, you know, using some of the advanced technology that's available, some of these new systems that have easier capabilities. And then, you know, all of us were looking at, you know, ways to, uh, you know, increase flexibility of staff, you know, um, put, put people into, uh, you know, non-traditional roles that have, may, may have some control and experience, um, bringing in some cases retirees, and then also moving, you know, regular support staff, non-operational people to another site. Um, so just uh, those are two things that kind of, you know, popped to the top of my mind with the um, COVID paper that the IEEE uh, worked on. Do you think uh, some of this new flexibility that in workforce deployment that was evidenced in the last few months might change operations going forward? Or do you think when the pandemic goes away, things will go back to the way they were? Marty, that's a, that's a great question. I think that there's no going back to where we were, at least not fully. You know, I think uh, for workers that have flexibility, um, organizations have moved really quickly to increase the flexibility. 
So, you know, more online processes, quicker support, you know, technical support for folks that are that are mostly, um, you know, might be working from home or working remotely. And I don't see organizations going back on that. I think people will still be coming in the office, but, you know, I think remote working is, is kind of here to stay, in my opinion. I think on, on the frontline staff, you know, the, the field workers and control rooms, um, it's, we've proven as it really as an industry that we can have workers on the front lines, but protect them from, uh, you know, risks such as the pandemic. So, so we've proven that we can protect our workforce. And I think it's consistent with a lot of other utilities as well. So I think it's kind of here to stay. Let's turn for a bit to energy efficiency and demand response. I think you have a goal, uh, at least have had a goal of trimming up 900 megawatts by 2025. What have been some of the stellar accomplishments there and what do you look to achieve? Yeah, I think the the demand response component, the new plan has us at 225 megawatts. We're we're currently at 75 megawatts. So, um, you know, continue to roll that out. Our solar programs, again, we're we're continuing to encourage solar. Um, We do have goals for thermal energy storage, uh, about 40 megawatts. So, uh, you know, that's an area we're going to be looking into. Um, you know, one thing Austin Energy does have is a chilled, chilled water plants that serve air conditioning load um, to our big commercial customers, especially in the downtown area. So there might be some opportunities there. Tom, talk a little bit uh, about the um, corporate culture at Austin Energy as it relates to technology. Do you find that you're very aggressive to go after new technologies? You mentioned a, a number of federal grants. And uh, what do you attribute that to? And, and what has it enabled you to accomplish? Austin, you know, I've been very happy to have come to Austin Energy. Um, it's it's only been, it's hard to believe, it's only been about seven months, I think. Very progressive uh, utility. As I mentioned, the EMS SCADA, which just went live in January, is, is state-of-the-art. It's it's not one of the mainstream vendors. It's a, it's a leading product in the industry. Um, the same with the ADMS, the uh, distribution management system. We're up, upgrading that this summer. Very leading vendor um, out front in the industry. And, and again, one of the kind of the non-traditional mainstays uh, with a lot of advanced features. Um, the rest of the technology platform, you know, modern... Um, a customer information system um, with, with Oracle, and the rest of the technology footprint, Marty at Austin Energy on the uh, engineering operations and electric system management side, I'm, I'm extremely pleased with. It's all best in class, straight down the line. And there's, you know, the right quantities. There's not too much overlap, or you know, some cases where folks have gone out and bought a lot of stuff. It's, it's, uh, you know, packages that make sense in the space that each of them are in. So it's a very progressive organization, um, and I'm, I'm really proud and happy to be uh, part of it. Any uh, pilot programs that you'd like to discuss that, that you think may be under the radar that the rest of the industry should be paying attention to? I think with the ADMS, there's the vendor, and Snyder is the vendor, has 150 capabilities. Austin Energy has the largest uh, utilization of those capabilities. So... I think, uh, you know, one area to watch is, you know, as, as us and other utilities are rolling out new use cases is, you know, try and, um, you know, create some industry excitement or try and get others on board and with other utilities to try and try and roll out some of these more advanced features. 
I think another area, Marty, is continuing to take these large battery systems that we have on the grid at substations and, you know, weave these into our day-to-day operations um, increasingly, you know, deal with, you know, the challenges that are faced in battery systems, making sure that they're operated safely, you know, maintained properly, and hopefully adopting uh, this technology as it becomes uh, uh, more and more prevalent and uh, more commonly accepted in the industry. Great. Thanks, Tom. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks, Marty. I really appreciate the uh, time and, and sharing of thoughts. And, you know, just kind of a final word for me, if I could. I, I really appreciate this. We're truly blessed to be in an industry where open sharing and collaboration is just a widespread trait. There's a lot of industries that are more closed due to their nature. It really has been a joy in my career to work in an industry that's, that's this open. And as part of this, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you this morning. Great. And thanks all for listening to Grid Talk. Thanks to Tom Pierpoint for sharing his insights about changes in the electric industry down in Austin and across the country and the world. You have been listening to Grid Talk. You can send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the series or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.